Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. On Sunday, May 29th, we welcomed the Reverend Dr. Bill Schulte to our pulpit. He preached from Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. I always appreciate the opportunity to be able to share with you and uh, Molly and Rob are vacationing and the opportunity for Rob to visit his mother and grandmother in Florida and for Cooper to see, as Molly put it, the largest bathtub in the world uh, with the ocean. But uh, we appreciate the opportunity to share with you today. And I'm going to have to say at the beginning of this sermon, I started planning a few weeks ago on my thoughts for today and uh, this sermon this week took a, a different turn the scripture is still appropriate and I want to begin with where I was going to start with this sermon and it seems that still it has I think a significant message. It's the story of Job. You're familiar with it. And I'm reading uh, Job chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. It says, When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was good friends and it's interesting to pick up on this story because sometimes we wonder how to deal with people in grief my experience as a pastor has been that those who often worry about what to do for someone in a time of grief, their mistake is they usually try to do too much. And this is a classic story, a wonderful story of what we need to do and only need to worry about when someone is going through a struggle. First of all, it's important to note that these three, when they went to him, they first went they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize and comfort. They had a plan, but their plan was just to go be with him and to comfort, just to go be there with the friend. And that's one of the words of advice I would often give to individuals when they would find someone struggling in a time of grief. They'd say, what do I need to do? I don't know what to say. And sometimes I'll say, just go and be there. You don't have to say anything. Just be with them. 
And that sometimes is the most important thing. And they did that. It said they spent time with him. They spent as long as needed. They spent seven days. Now whether there's significance to the idea of seven, that's the biblical word of, of completeness or of a perfect time. So they may have spent what was the perfect needed time. And then it says they sat with him silently. They didn't say a word for seven days. Not one word. But it also tells us that as they were approaching him, when they saw him, he, they didn't even recognize him. He had been so destroyed by everything going wrong in his life. Here was a man who'd lost his cattle, he'd lost his children, he was covered with boils, and he had ripped off his clothes and covered himself with dust and was sitting on a garbage heap. His life had reached as low as it could ever reach. So even with their plan of just going and sitting with him, they went a step further. And this is where it's hard. And actually the original title of my sermon was Empathy for the Pathetic. And that's what they gave him. They identified with him. They ripped their clothes off. They covered themselves with dust. And they sat on the garbage heap with him for seven days. They became what he was doing. They observed his pain and suffering and somehow decided to take it upon themselves. And thus, this is where my sermon took an interesting turn this week. Like many of you, it's still hard for me to talk about Uvalde. I didn't know anybody there. Don't know one person by name. But to think of what happened with those innocent children and that teacher. December 31st, 1997. Jill was listening on the radio, my wife Jill, a school teacher, and heard of a school shooting, shooting in, at Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky. Jill and I lived here in Louisville at that time with Molly and her brothers. A young man had taken a shotgun and an automatic pistol, put the pistol in his backpack, wrapped the gun in a rug, got into the car with his sister who drove him to school because he was only a freshman, told her that she asked him what was in the rug. He said, it's an it's a art project, but I don't want to show it to you. Went to the school. They got out 7.45 in the morning. He walked into the lobby where a group of students were standing in a circle having prayer before school. Pulled out his pistol, shot eight of the students. Three of them died. 
We heard about that on WHAS radio here in Louisville. When Jill got home that night, she called her parents. Because Jill and I grew up in Paducah. I went to Paducah Tillman. Jill went to Lone Oak. Jill learned that night the daughter of her neighbor, a girl she grew up with, a girl she went to school with, was one of the three who were killed. School shootings weren't that common then. Twenty-five years have passed. There have been 477 school shootings in that 25 years. People, something's wrong. Something is wrong. There have been 27 school shootings so far this year. I'm tired. I'm tired of sending thoughts and prayers. I didn't mean for this sermon to become political today. Bill, I appreciate so much what you said earlier. There is something wrong in a society where we glorify something that is created for the purpose of killing other human beings. I grew up in a hunting family. My grandfather had a farm. My dad, I actually have a gun that's almost 100 years old that he gave to me, that his father gave to him. I've never shot it except when I was a kid with my grandfather. I don't have anything against anyone who goes hunting. But I don't need a gun that's intended for the purpose of killing human beings to shoot a squirrel or even a deer. And I'm tired of hearing it being only about mental illness because any time anyone pulls a trigger to take the life of another human being to murder them, of course there's a mental illness. What person in their right mind would do it? This last year has been a terrible year for a lot of people. It's been a terrible year for people of color. Some of them, their voting rights are being suppressed. Some of them have been killed unnecessarily because of the color of their skin. People of color, color, whether they're African-American or Asian, or Hispanic have suffered all kinds of prejudice in this past year. And I remember being a part of the movement in the 60s thinking we were overcoming a lot of that. Women 
have had a difficult year in so many ways. Some of your freedoms have been taken away. Women still are paid considerably less than men. Isn't it amazing that the women's soccer team just within the last month won a victory that they would finally get paid for doing the same thing men do? The LGBTQ plus community, what fear they must live in. Some states won't even let us say the word gay. My family is made up of teachers and ministers. I don't recall ever in all of my ministerial training being taught how to defend a congregation against a person with a gun. I don't believe my children who are school teachers should have that as a part of the responsibility of their job. I want them to teach, not be soldiers. Going to the supermarket, going to church, going to a Bible study group, going to school. Should be a place where you could feel that you could go and do it safely. Thoughts and prayers. We've been giving thoughts and prayers, I know, for at least 25 years. Maybe it helps to comfort those who are grieving. Maybe it helps for those who are surviving. But it hasn't changed in over 477 times what's happened in schools in 25 years or 27 times what's happened in schools this year. I think we need to do what these friends of Job did. We need to make a plan. We need to go with intent. We need to do more than just be there. We need to do more than just pray. I think we as Christians may have to become the ones who take the leading edge on doing something about this problem. There's part of Christianity that calls us to be passive. You know, we're supposed to be the ones who turn the other cheek. We're supposed to be the ones that don't judge. We're supposed to be the ones that love no matter what somebody does. But on the other hand, we are also followers of the Christ who said that we should turn swords into plowshares. We're followers of the Christ who went into the temple and turned over the tables in anger when the people were doing things they weren't supposed to be doing. We're followers of the Christ who ask us the questions, Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor?
I've decided that I've come to a point in my life. I can no longer remain silent. I'm not sure how to be a great activist. I did some of it back in the 60s and 70s because I actually did participate in some of those things. But I've decided I need to learn. I need to find again how I can do it. What I can do more than just send my thoughts and prayers. I don't want my children and my grandchildren to grow up in a world where there's going to be 477 more acts of violence in schools in the next 25 years. I want my children who are ministers to be able to be in churches where the focus of church and of worship is worshiping God and fearing God in the way we are supposed to, not fearing guns and strangers. I'm on a group in the church, a justice and ministry group. And we've talked about lots of different things. It's interesting the churches today, today have taken this turn that, you know, I, I don't know that back 25 years ago or when I was beginning my ministry that I even thought about a church having a committee or a group called Justice and Ministry. But it's where our focus has had to move to. But then I realized... Isn't that really what Christianity is all about? Aren't we told in Scripture that we're supposed to love mercy or, or to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? So I've decided, I've decided that for the sake of my grandkids and my children and churches and schools and people shopping in supermarkets, I'm going to become an activist Christian. I'm going to find my opportunities to participate. I'm going to do what I can to try to do what little I can to make things different other than just prayers. As being a part of this committee in the church, one of the responsibilities I've taken is I'm doing everything I can right now to find out what we can do to get more people to vote and to help them vote and to register them and help them to register. You know, some people, it's not easy to do something on a computer. It's not easy to fill out a form. Some people may not even have the ability to read the form, to fill it out, to register, to vote. And then some people need a ride to go vote. And I might not be able to give them a drink of water while they're standing in line, but I can give them one on the way. And, if I'm, and I have already, and if I'm, I'm going to continue to contact my representatives and senators and express my opinion to them. But I'm also going to let other people know how to do that 
and encourage other people to do that. Because believe me, they get enough calls, they'll listen because they cherish their vote. And I don't know. I may do something that gets me into good trouble. If it's a march, if it's a demonstration, if it's a poster I can make, if there's a place I can go, if there's a phone call I can give, I want to do more than just send thoughts and prayers. It was not my intention that this might become something political in nature today. But it's from the heart. And I hope you'll commit with me to do more than just thoughts and prayers. We've got to do something. Will you pray with me? Lord, we've been talking so many years about how prayer changes things. But it's people with prayerful attitudes who make changes. And so we ask you, Lord, to help us. Find what we can do to make this a more loving world. A place where our children and our families and our churches and our schools and our places of, of where we shop. Lord, help us to do those things to become advocates that will make this a safer place. And help us, Lord, to value life. Whether a person is eight months, eight years, or 80 years, let us treasure that person because they are created in your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.